This week, we're going to be talking about traction, and we'll also sit down with Courtney and Ella, founders of Boutique Window. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Stay with us. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside, your podcast on all things considered <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> I Take always screw that up. I can never remember the tagline. It'll feel weird the day that you get it right. Now let's try that again. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside of Silicon Valley. I'm Matt Boyd. <laughs> I'm Brian Ardinger. And say, I'm that, say that over. Say, I'm Brian Ardinger. <laughs> I'm Brian Ardinger. I am Paul V. Jarrett. <laughs> nice episode. <laughs> episode. <laughs> I just wanted to see if one of you guys said something about it. Not really. It's just Paul Jarrett. <laughs> All, so, all the rich people I know use their middle initial. <laughs> Not rich, but I thought I'd just toss it in there. Episode six is here. Talking about traction this week. Want to get into it? What do you guys, uh, how are you guys feeling? Pretty good. Good. Are we not going to talk about the powder hook winner? Yeah. So let's talk about that. So we, we uh, a couple weeks ago, we ran a contest for powder hook. Yeah. As part of the launch party, powder hook was a, uh, one of our local startups around here said, Hey, we've got a, a six day, five night fishing package giveaway to Ontario if you want to give that Which away to pretty freaking awesome prize it's it really a big deal kind of I, I no kind of want that <laughs> thank you so all the people that uh, registered at our launch party and the people that sent in their uh, emails for the newsletter we drew it out of a hat and the winner is Joe Millam out of Austin Texas boom he actually the founder Joe. of Angel Span oh, did we do that all legally we did like all the I's were dotted, T's were crossed. Totally. Of course. Good. That hat sounds super legal. <laughs> <laughs> so congrats to Joe. Congrats to you Joe. You guys just looked at each other like, should we cut that out? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't cut it out. Leave it. So uh, let's get into it this week. We want to talk about traction. Traction is a tricky subject because it's different, different for every business. Every measure of traction is different. We're going to get into that. Uh, what is traction? Let's define it. What do you guys think traction is? Basically, I mean, we talk about it a lot. You know, every every investor says, "Well, you got to have more traction. You got to have more traction." So people say, "What is that? What does that mean?" It basically means you've got some people interested in your product, and it's kind of uh, a growth metric to show that you've got um, something real. I kind of think about it as just selling something, but I guess it's it's a much more broader term of. You know, what are you measuring? What are you trying to um, accomplish? And I guess that could be customer acquisition, but I've always just thought of it specifically as, you know, how are you making money and, and how do you intend to grow this thing and, and scale up? And just, I always like to see, you know, traction of startups that have just proved that they actually can sell a product or gain customers. So I've actually got the definition. I, don't, I can't remember where I got the definition from. Uh, <laughs> well, probably Merriam-Webster or something. But uh, the definition of traction in relation to product is uh, the extent to which a product, idea, et cetera, gains popularity or acceptance. I don't know if that, do you think that translates to what we're talking about today? I think that it does in a sense, but it's so much deeper than that. Right. I mean, I think there are various ways to measure traction. Um but I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to, do you have people that are interested in what you're doing and are they willing to pay or exchange value for that? Yeah. 
it's probably really important to understand who the person that you're talking to, what their definition of traction is, right? Because like we just showed, you know, my thoughts always go directly to sales, whereas it could be somebody else. So if you're working with an investor or whoever, like they say, show us some traction, which will happen. Yeah. It's yeah. probably a good idea to say, that define that and give me some context. Totally. In Naval Ravikant's definition, Naval is the founder of AngelList, um, rock star, uh, what should I say? Founder, <coughs> investor, rock star investor and founder. Uh, he says that quantitative it's traction is quantitative evidence of market demand. So in, in the way that I read that is quantitative evidence, meaning like it is measurable and you can show that it's measurable. You show that in, in whatever way that you're measuring that the market is demanding your product. Yes. Nice job, Naval. <laughs> <laughs> nice job, Naval. I'm going to Google him after this. Dude, <laughs> you're so heads down. <laughs> I don't know anybody, man. Uh, there, there's a couple other a couple other quotes. So I, I pulled one from Cora. I, I, the reason I'm getting so many quotes is because I want multiple people's take on it because it is a tough thing to kind of quantify. But um, this this quote from Cora is from uh, Brendan Baker at Greylock. He says, uh, "Use evidence creatively and honestly," and he h- highlights honestly uh, to tell a unique story of your momentum. I think that's probably pretty key, telling a, a very unique story of your momentum and not just kind of showing showing the numbers, but like telling the story behind the numbers even. Yes. Yes, I think that's correct. Spot on. not talking. <laughs> what, is, what, what is going on? I don't, I've never really thought beyond traction more than sales personally. So yeah. I'm actually, like as I was re- reading this like uh, outline, I was thinking, man, like I grew up in a world where it's all sell, sell, sell. Um, and, you know, that's always how we've measured our traction and success. And I think also that might be a, a product of the Midwest in general. So what are some I of them? I've never gone to an investor or gone to a pitch and they said, you know, how many blank, anything other than traction i've never heard them ask about any other specific metrics it's all it's always it's revenue sales and revenue and you know yeah there's churn in there but when you're charging for a product like that's all in there so um you know maybe that's because i you know haven't guided the conversation the way that i wanted to or i did specifically towards revenue and sales but i've just i don't know what do you guys think is that like a midwest thing where we're focused on money I think I traction. I think traction is different for different types of businesses, like how oh, you would absolutely. measure traction. Yep. Uh, you know, Snapchat is not measuring traction on revenue; they're measuring on how fast they're acquiring. They're, they're doing user users. engagement and growth. Exactly. So <laughs> love that metric. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't worry about the money; just worry about growth. <laughs> Sounds awesome to me. Um, it's actually so. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring can up. You, a, wait, talk about, all right. So, <laughs> can you imagine? Have you guys ever been to like Nebraska Angels? Yes. Yeah. You guys got really nervous right now. (laughs) Where's he going? I love you, Nebraska Angels. But can you imagine like in front of a group, like an angel group in the Midwest, somebody (laughs) raises their hand and says, we're not focused on money. Show, show me the traction. And your response is, we're not focused on money. We're focused on gaining customers. You might as well just like walk off of the just stage. Just heads explode at that yeah, point. I'm sure there's there's plenty of people that are part of the like different angel groups in the Midwest. But as a whole, I could just imagine like. You need to show a little bit more crickets. meat on the bones right. around here. And that, How are you planning to make money? <laughs> Great question, John. Uh, we we're don't. actually <laughs> don't. We are focused on growing right now. Yeah, just <laughs> you'd be so screwed. 
I think I think that's actually a really good point in the fact that like businesses, various businesses do have different uh, modes of traction. Um, if it's a consumer product, if it's like if it's really just an app focused on growth, then I think that t- makes total sense. That's what you're wanting to achieve, and eventually, uh, and this is hard for people around here uh, to your point uh, to get their heads around that. Yeah, that growth is our prime yeah. metric. If you have built a billion people on your yeah, platform, you, you can, can probably that, monetize something on that. Yeah. You can and monetize I, later. I, I should say, I doubt it's just a Midwest thing. It's probably <laughs> all over the U.S. except yeah. New York City, Austin, and San Francisco, and maybe a handful of other yeah. places. But yeah. I just <laughs> think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think like for a B2B product where uh, the sales life cycle is long and the, and the individual customer value is high, Traction is probably more centered on revenue. Also for physical products, maybe hardware. Traction is probably revenue, e-commerce, revenue. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, so it kind of gets us into the point. What are a few various uh, traction metrics that that people can follow? Well, I think too many people think of um, traction metrics. This episode brought to you by Dillashaw LLC. We sat down with Bart to see what he thought about vesting agreements. I think vesting agreements are one of the most important agreements for founders to consider right at the beginning. A lot of founders think that vesting agreements are just for the benefit of some future investor and lose sight of the fact that it's that they really benefit themselves uh, as well. Anytime you have a team of people right at the beginning, there's a chance that that team's going to break up. There are bad reasons for that, and there are also really good reasons for that, where someone gets a, a chance of a lifetime, or uh, their spouse takes them away, or they're forced to move for other reasons. And um, and so you want to be prepared for those, and you want to build your company on a solid foundation that's going to be able to deal with those inevitabilities. Investing agreements are one of the best ways to do with that. Fundamentally, if you have a team of three people, and one of them leaves after a year, you may be very, very happy for them, but you don't want them to walk off with a third of your company. Um, you're going to need those shares to hire someone else in to replace them. Uh, you're going to need those shares to motivate someone else. And if they're no longer contributing to the company, um, you know, they, they shouldn't have those shares. And investing agreements are a great way to protect, or a great way to protect that. As some of these quote-unquote vanity metrics, like the number of likes I have on Facebook, um, yeah, you know, Twitter followers things that don't matter uh, to your bottom line, right? Right. The so they're, they're, they sound people great. Ask us about like our Facebook followers or whatever, and I just my question, like, do you just want me to go out and yeah. buy them? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty easy, right? <laughs> it's really easy, and then you screw up all of your metrics. And yeah, yeah. Nothing ever works right ever again. For sure. Right. Oh, it's so, so annoying. So those vanity metrics don't necessarily equate to traction. It's again, I think it comes back to that market demand. You know, are people exchanging value? for what you're doing, whether it's revenue or whether it's, you know, they're exchanging their email or, or cell phone number, whatever the case may be, they're giving something of value up in, in response to what you're providing them on the marketplace. So I want to talk about a little bit about product market fit, um, product market fit in relation to traction. So how do you know that you've achieved what, first of all, what is product market fit? How do you know that you've achieved product market fit? Um, and can you have product market fit without traction? Can you have product market fit I mean, without I think traction? it's obvious that you can't. No. <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of times product market fit is one of those things, it's, it's basically the point at which it escalates. It you know goes up on the, on the curve to that exponential level where whatever you're providing, people are buying. Yeah. Um, at the traction point, I think you can- What is that exponential level? When, when on the hockey stick, when it starts like going up. general. 
what's, I don't know if there's a specific metric to what measures that, but I mean, if you look at week over week growth, you know, Paul Graham has a nice piece, startup equals growth. And he talks about, um, you should be trying, you should be trying to optimize for 7% growth week over week. Right. And it's easy, obviously in the early days, but as you get further along, you know, 7% growth week on week, is hard to do. If you can actually get that and get that type of traction in that, that's when you've got product market fit because you'll have that exponential hockey curve, right. hockey step cur- curve. I've, I've seen something that we've um, run into challenges at our company is, um, you know, we, we start comparing ourselves to software apps and we're, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. you know, essentially e-commerce. And now we have kind of this data software um, part, new part that we've launched. Um, and I think with, all of these things, it's incredibly important to understand, you know, that you're not comparing apples to oranges. And, you know, when you do hear things like 7% week over week, you know, some people out there might be thinking like, oh shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, no, that, that's ideal. Yeah, I mean, right. if you can get to that, you are on right. a rocket ship. Also, it's, what, it's different for different businesses. Again, I think for consumer businesses, I think it, that makes total sense for right so i think it's really important that you understand you know your your business and what you're you know essentially competing and benchmarking against and then also um uh, managing that conversation with others because i've talked to well over i think i counted 350 different vcs and i got a little excel doc and uh the amount of times that we get metrics that are compared to and, and a lot of times it's younger analysts or VCs and they, they start throwing out, you know, their businesses that have nothing that, to do with what you're doing. The same right. shit that I read online. Yeah. Uh, they start throwing <laughs> that and, you know, I have to kind of counter that with, well, that's great. That's it's great for them. Yeah, that, was, for that was awesome yeah. for Uber and Facebook, but we're, you know, an e-commerce business and here's our industry. So, yeah. um, again, just like really important to, you know, do your own thing and, and build out your traction and control that conversation. Totally. So back to your question, you know, I think you can fake traction, but you cannot fake product market fit. Product market fit is really when there's a demand from the market and it's proven demand that people are buying your, your stuff. Yeah. And so, but you can fake traction from the same point. You can buy traction and you can do it for a little bit, but at the end of the day, if you don't have that product market fit, if the people don't really, aren't really coming back because of you know the promotions or whatever, um, that's when I think you can oftentimes get into a rut where you think you've got product market fit. You think you've got traction because you, you know, bought an additional traffic or whatever. Uh, but it's not real product market fit. It's just fake traction. I want to talk a little bit about product market fit and the fact that, um, product market fit, I think was born out of software development in the, in the, the iteration times that it takes, uh, you know, for physical products, iteration is, is a totally different concept because you, you put out a physical product and you might not iterate on that product for another year. You might not put out version two for a year, but with software iteration times are decreasingly going down. So you're always changing direction. You're always skewing to the the right or the left. Um, and so this actually gives us the ability to kind of shift and change. So you may not have product market fit this month, but next month you might just ease right into it. And that's kind of what product market fit is. It's kind of a quantifiable easing into the market where one t- at one point in time you don't have product market fit and then you instantly just kind of realize, holy crap, stuff's yeah. kind of working. Well, and I think that's, I mean, I heard our entrepreneurs say, you know, you know it when you see it and when you're in it. But yeah. you don't really necessarily well, know it, and, and usually <laughs> until it, you get there, exactly. And usually, I, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree with that. And usually, it comes down to kind of your key metrics, whether that is uh, engagement, 
if your engagement all of a sudden is going through the roof and your churn just uh, goes down to nothing, like 2%, sub 1%. I had a VC, I was sitting with a VC and uh, we were talking about churn and he said like, you would, you didn't, for a, for a SaaS business, you do not have product market fit until you are at sub 1% churn. And that's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> GTFO. Yeah. But that, but, yeah, but again, that is for a SaaS business. Right. That's not for, you know, various different types of business models. How many people just threw up their hands? <laughs> I'm done. I'm not <laughs> I'll see you guys. <laughs> um, so don't, talk, don't, don't <laughs> keep, keep chipping away. No, seriously. Yeah. Just keep chipping away. You, you, that doesn't happen easily and totally. it doesn't happen overnight. Keep plugging at it. Yeah. Well, and quite frankly, you don't have to have a, a billion dollar business to be a successful entrepreneur. Amen, brother. You know, you know, one thing that I've seen a lot of times, and this is coming from, you know, myself who spent a decade in advertising and marketing, um, people just get kind of the messaging incorrectly. So they mm -hmm. can actually have this awesome product, awesome software, awesome whatever. Um, and I remember at our company, like we, even despite our huge marketing background, we got into talking about the features of the product and not the benefits. Yeah. And mm -hmm. once we got back to talking about the benefits of the product, like things drastically changed. So always think about that too. There's so many variables. It's not necessarily how, you know, the watch ticks. It's how you're kind of uh, talking about the watch and selling it. So, you know, it just doesn't come down to the, the mechanical parts of it. You, it's mm -hmm. all of the things together create um that magic and, and you have to work on that you have to work on that growth metric i think you have to work on optimizing for growth because it's so important because you know most startups don't fail because um most startups fail because they can't get those growth that growth to happen right there's plenty of people that have built products that work but if you don't get that growth you don't get that product market fit then you're not going to be it, it's so frustrating too because you're like well what is what is growth, right? And and I see so many people, and we've been guilty week, of this. Week on week growth, whatever the metric that you're right, looking at. exactly whatever it is. But I see so many people where they just like it's just more, it's more faster, more <laughs> faster, and nobody ever draws a line in the sand to say this is what success looks like. Um, you know, here is how we are measuring it, and if we hit that, continue to go. If we don't, stop doing it, and, and that all has to be scalable too. So that's I've seen a lot of people just you know, burn it on both ends of the candle and, and there's never any definition of success. I also want to say, uh, it, it's not just growth. I think that if you're not focused on getting your churn, as far as like the leaky bucket, like you can have right, all right, the right. growth that you want, but if they're going straight out the back door, uh, then that means nothing. <laughs> and you're not, you're not hitting traction. You're not hitting, uh, you know, product market fit. So that's why we sell full size. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I, like, that's the thing. It's like, you can, Think think about unique ways to kind of get people to stick around and get people yep. to kind of uh, make your app a little bit stickier, get them to to come on the next time and the next time and the next time. Oh, I got my good traction story now. Yeah. I've been nervous the whole time because I'm like, I don't have anything for this next <laughs> bullet point. <laughs> Go at it, brother. Did you like that segue? <laughs> I, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> like a light, I see the light bulb. Like I, it's, yeah, it's well, kind of bright. I don't know. I don't know if it's a good traction story or not, but. Um, it's what finally popped into my head, by the way, whoever gave me a call that big Omaha, <laughs> thank you. I still love you. I'm sure you gave it back to somebody. Oh, where are you, where are you at now? Vitamin man. <laughs> <laughs> where's, where's your zinc and vitamin C now? Vitamin guy. Um, 
yeah, I, I have a little cold medicine. I'm a little loopy. Um, but I was thinking when we first started our company, Bulu Box, and we were selling um, the subscription to a Bulu Box, which is four to five premium vitamin supplement samples. When we started, we got traction right out of the gate, and it, it just took off naturally. And um, probably about six to eight months in, it became challenging, and people were leaving, and we kind of had that oh shit moment, and you know, wait, 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 and it just felt like we we're grasping at air, trying to grab people to come back. And um, we ended up um, there's, I mean, there's plenty of scary moments when you start a company, but you know, to your point of the leaky bucket, this is really kind of what. Um, made me think about it is, you know, we introduce things like rewards points yeah, and mm-hmm. actually we introduce full size product sales. So that really helps. So what we are sampling, you could actually buy the full size version of it, but then we we're watching the metrics of people going to Amazon or going to, you know, vitamin, yada, yada, whatever it was, some other website. And that was scary when you can just watch people yeah. and <laughs> leave and go to and the, the com- competition. Um, and then we introduced rewards points and that kind of solved for that. So mm-hmm. it's just, you know, iteration after iteration and, and catching those people and, you know, where they drop off on the funnel, seeing in that marketing funnel where they're leaving. And then is there something you can do to kind of retrieve those people? I think that kind of goes to the point of like, it's easy whenever you're first starting a company, it's easy to sit here and th- look at companies that have traction and look at companies that are growing and right. think like, right. ah, they just flipped the traction, yeah. traction switch. But like, no yeah. it's really just kind of a, a, a long grueling stair step. You know, part you of, take a step after step and you're building on, on something every and, day. And a part of it, I think you, again, you've got to have a traction mindset from the very beginning before you even launch a product. There's a lot of ways you can start kind of, making it um, such that you'll get traction when you do launch a product. So for example, I know companies like Unbounce, they started six months before they launched a product, starting doing content marketing and had a blog talking about all sorts of things, really engaging with an audience and building an audience before they actually launched a product into that audience. And they had instant traction because they had built that audience to begin with. What about this new thing where companies are like selling off parts of their company or you can buy shares? Have you guys seen this? No. It's called the public market or what? You guys always say, how do I know about something in the startup world and you guys know what's I'm going looking at. So I'm probably going to get this incorrect and I don't, well, I don't want to eat. Well, I've screwed all these names. I think, um, like jet.com, which wants to take on Amazon. I'm plugging another e-commerce company. Shame on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe grid, um, I could be wrong, but a few companies now are like, if you sign up for a subscription or if you um, put in cash now, you actually, I, I believe you get equity in the company. Stay tuned for an interview with Courtney and Ella. Stay tuned for... So I, I could probably tell a little bit of uh, our story of getting some traction at Squiggle. Um, so we were we were in a market that is very, very saturated. And so like it's easy to kind of look at like these competitors like Skype and the big giants and think like, oh, crap. Like, how are we going to even get any kind of measurable growth in this market, right? Um, so we generated, we built a, a product over probably a couple weeks, maybe maybe a couple weekends, like really, really grinding it out. I remember seeing the first version. <laughs> yeah, I remember, you, I remember, yeah. <laughs> Got some stories of you on that version. Yep. Um, so... <laughs> um, so... We will share that. Yeah, we'll have to share that at some day. Um, 
so we first of all we needed a, just a, a tiny bit of like validation that what we were building that people were actually kind of interested in and I, and this is kind of the backwards way of approaching uh, most people whenever they try validation to get market validation at least in some form they pitch the pro the the, the problem and not not necessarily the solution um, but we pitched the solution. <laughs> so we went straight out of the gate and said like, nice. like we just started pitching our exact solution that we hacked together. Um, we made a video, threw it up on, on YouTube and then threw it up on hacker news under show HN. Uh, and then within just a couple of minutes, TechCrunch reached out and said like, we have to write about this. Wow. And so that was our initial spike of traction, but that still right. doesn't end there. Like, I, I don't want you to think like, oh, well that's just how you get traction. <laughs> get you tech get crunch. written on TechCrunch because that's not the case. <laughs> that's when the headache begins. <laughs> <laughs> right. So everything dropped. I mean, we, we were higher than what we were before. We had users mm-hmm. and we had active users now, at least in some form or fashion, a low amount, but we had some. Um, and then, then it, that's really when the, the, product grinding and for us we were this weird mix of like a b2b but kind of consumer product so we were in the b2b space but kind of going after a consumer growth model um and so it was all self-serve it was all like people just signing up discovering the app and signing up and going through that process so for us we did have the amount of data that we could actually turn on and kind of build product and so it was really just a matter of like looking at the data optimizing the product and and kind of stair stepping it up while combining that with just content heavy content marketing on the remote workspace so and just okay. feeding that beast yeah. of traction yeah. and it's just growing and yeah. more food. We, we really <laughs> wanted to become um, the, you know, quote unquote experts, I guess that's the word. The, I also hate the word thought leader, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, thought, but thought leader. We I wanted think to I've be- ever use that word. I'm not <laughs> going to start now. Yeah. So we wanted to, we wanted to become that, whatever that entity is in the remote workspace because we mm-hmm. kind of realized that there was no precedent for remote work there's nobody blogging about how to create a company culture about this so we created one of the one of the probably the first blog on the topic and and that's really how we kind of gained a um a, a position in that market i think so uh first just kind of tell your names uh, in the company. so my name is ella Wirtz, um and i founded boutique window with courtney and i am courtney rogers uh, so tell me, tell me a story of your childhood and did it lead, how did it lead into entrepreneurship and uh, Yeah, so I wish that I had some like magical entrepreneurship core thing that happened in my childhood. Um, but the reality is I was just a super driven, wanted to be in everything, wanted to do whatever was going to challenge me the most next. So I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, I went to Northeast High School and then ended up going to the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, um, at the Rake School for Computer Science and Management. Um, so growing up, I did like was literally involved in everything. So I was in Taekwondo, ended up getting a secondary black belt. Um, I played piano, I played violin, I was in like three different choirs. So anything to like challenge me and keep me 100% busy. Um, and then when it came to look at schools, um, I had not been exposed to computer science at all. And thought I wanted to do <clears throat> wanted to do pre-med, actually. Um, I think, I actually hate blood. So the idea of doing pre-med was, again, one of those things where I thought to myself, what's the biggest challenge I could potentially take? And in my mind, that was, that was medicine, being a doctor. 
Um, but started looking at the Rake School. It seemed like a great opportunity. It was a great scholarship. And I was like, I can do this computer science thing on the side while I do my, my medicine thing. Um, got into the school, ended up really, really loving kind of the marriage of computer science and business. Ended up switching to be a computer science major. Um, and my career kind of grew out of that. So started out as a project manager at PayPal doing technical project management. Um, ended up getting into interactive digital marketing. Um, so worked at Swanson Russell for a really long time, um, one of the largest agencies in the Midwest. Um, and at Swanson Russell, that's actually where um, Courtney and I ended up meeting. That's a detailed account. Too detailed? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Historically accurate. It was. No, that was great. Uh, so from a childhood perspective, I was kind of a weird kid. And I think I was always about finding creative ways to make money, especially when I was too young to actually have a job. Um, so just kind of thinking back on some of my little kid entrepreneurial endeavors make me laugh a little bit. Um, I at one point started a pet grooming business. Uh, I was a, when I was in elementary school, I would charge neighborhood adults for me to walk their kids to school for them so that they didn't have to do it. Um, my sisters and I started our own nonprofit where we would organize a neighborhood carnival and literally like find old toys from our basement and set up these carnival games and they would pay us money and then we would donate it to a charity. Um, I In high school, this was actually a more legitimate entrepreneurial activity, but I worked for a veterinarian and I kind of started my own pet sitting business off of that. So... Um, I would never have identified that as something I was particularly passionate about, like starting businesses, but I was always finding ways to kind of uh, be my own boss, even when I was uh, in elementary school and in high school as well. Yeah. And then my dad was pretty involved um, in some startups from an entrepreneurial perspective, too. So I had a good kind of role model to look at uh, before I actually got into the business world on my own. Yeah. So um, tell me your co-founder story, how you found each other, Yeah, so we've always been in kind of the same circle of friends since um, college. Uh, my husband was in the same computer science program with Ella and her husband. Um, and so always kind of tangentially involved in the same group of friends. Um, Kyle, my husband, actually works with John, Ella's husband. And then um, when Ella was looking to make a career move, uh, she joined me at Swanson Russell, and that's really where we connected and became good friends. Um, and really enjoyed working with each other on projects through Swanson Russell. Um, and just kind of the friendship and work passions that we shared just kind of naturally evolved into wanting to start a business together. Yeah, we were both kind of got to a point at Swanson Russell where, you know, Swanson Russell was amazing. We learned so much. We got to work with this amazing team. Um, but we wanted to find a way to kind of use those learnings from our careers and start something on our own, something that we very much connected on. Yeah. Um, and because we'd gotten the chance to work together for, uh, what was it, like four and a half years at yeah. that point, working really closely, doing similar roles with different clients at Swanson Russell, we knew that we would work really, really well together. Um, and we were just kind of excited to, again, going back to doing whatever is going to challenge me the most at any yeah. given time, we were excited to kind of take that leap and see kind of what we could do with it. Yeah. How important was it to be on the same page as far as, like, you had worked together for four years? Was that probably, like, one of the biggest things in, in you know, starting it? Yeah, you know, I think it's really, you know, you hear stories where people meet each other randomly, start a business, and it ends up working. Um, but that has to be 
the exception instead of the rule um, because you spend so much time with that other person. You need to understand how they're going to work. Um, you want to understand, you know, it's, it's very similar to a marriage. You know, you want to understand that you can um, solve problems together. Yeah. Um, you want to understand that you are on the same page from like a where we want to take the vision or the business perspective. Um, and we fortunately got to get some really good, um, we have some really good role models with other startups in the community. We've seen how that founder relationship works. So we, we were able to kind of like really sit down think about it objectively before starting Boutique Window. You know, can we do this together? Can our friendship survive this? And will we make a good team? So let's get into uh, Boutique Window itself. So tell me about it. How did you come up with the idea? And then maybe a story about kind of starting and running the company. Sure. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, So just basically what Boutique Window was, it's retail marketing software um, targeted at small businesses. So think like a women's apparel and accessory store in downtown Lincoln. Um, It's software to help them better utilize their online presence to get people into the door more often to buy merchandise. Um, So what we had found, you know, we are both very avid local shoppers. Um, We found these, the online presence of these stores just wasn't great. You know, we wanted better insight into the new merchandise they were getting so we could go in more often and buy the things we wanted. Um, But the the people who are typically starting these stores, they're great at merchandising. They're great at customer interactions. Um, You know, they want to be spending time with those shoppers. They don't necessarily have formal, you know, marketing education. They don't know where to start from an online perspective. Um, So there's a huge gap in tools and definitely a need to solve that problem for a small retailer. And from our perspective, we were both really passionate about um, building effective websites for businesses and also helping them manage effective online communication strategies. So at Swanson Russell, we had been doing this for very large national and global businesses, which is great. Awesome experience. We loved our clients, but getting to take that to a group of people who typically don't have a lot of resources available to them and giving them tools to do a really, really good job at a price point they afforded was something that was really attractive to us. How did you get in front of some of your first customers? Um, We were really, really lucky that Lincoln and Omaha in particular just have, like, even outside of the, what you would consider the entrepreneurial community with tech startups, um, small businesses are very willing to share information and they're kind of in the same boat. Um, They're, for the most part, first-time business owners. They know all the struggles of getting started. So it was a great group of people for us to reach out to. Um, We had a few personal connections that we utilized and then we were able to just kind of put together our cold call list of like, we feel like these stores would be perfect fits and almost everybody was willing to sit down and have some initial conversations with us as we were coming up with the business idea. And then they were huge in helping us kind of get connected to retailer groups to initially grow our customer base. So how did you make the leap? So you were working at Swanson Russell and then like walk me through the psychology and the thinking in your mind as far as jumping into starting a company where you're leaving you know something that seems safe <laughs> right yeah that is just <laughs> so i was actually had done a brief stint at Conexa. so at the time that we started talking about boutique window we weren't actually working at the same place um and i think we kind of missed each other a little bit and uh, we're both looking for ways to kind of continue to develop in our personal careers. So a lot of times, especially at agencies, you are working on projects at the whim of what your clients are ordering. So great stuff, but you don't always get to say like, hey, man, I'd really love to dig into social strategy more or website development. It just kind of depends what comes across your plate. 
Um, so we tackled this as like a personal development project initially, um, where we were very much interested in kind of the business aspect behind some of the work that we were doing. So let's put together a business plan. Let's identify a problem. Let's do some user experience work on that that we might not get to do as part of our job so that we continue to grow. Um, and as we kind of dug deeper and deeper into the project, especially from the business plan aspect, and it seemed like uh, people were getting really excited about it. We could sell it at a price point that made sense. And the market was actually big enough to support a business. We started to get pretty excited. So that's when we started to look into um, opportunities for us to kind of build out a prototype and maybe turn this into more of a business than just a side project that we were working on. Yeah, we, we spent about three months really vetting the boutique window project before deciding to take the leap, um, leave our current jobs and go boutique window full time. You know, we because so like we started building that business plan. We started exploring potential, you know, seed money opportunities where that would come from. We did a lot of those like early initial customer interviews before we made that leap because we wanted to, you know, we didn't want to just dive in head first. You know, we wanted a little bit of safety net. We wanted to make sure. Well, that's it for this episode of Inside Outside. Follow us on Twitter at The IO Podcast. And if you have a question, we'll be sure to answer it on air. Special thanks to Courtney and Ella for coming on the show and telling their story. And music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com. As always, until next time, go build something big.